0: Like, I was on Facebook this one time, you know, like recently, and this guy posted on a page... Wait, why am I talking like that? Huh. Hey, it's Jeremy Vaney, the host of this thing. Hour and Doing Radio. Hey, welcome! Guess I should have led with that. But anyway, uh, it is true. I was once on Facebook. Oh, yes, I was. And um, there was a, a guy in a, on a forum... Who wrote this long, uh, I don't know what you would call it, (laughs) missive, let's say, on new predators emerging, predators of humans, I guess, at this point in our evolution, because there's so many of us, there's so much, as he said, biomass, and I guess, uh, what, Earth is starving, or something, Um, and he brings up... Certain things like watching coyote behavior as uh, they start to test the boundaries of what's possible to get away with with people. Uh, Presumably they are wily and they are uh, sharpening their knives and their forks and getting ready to put us into a giant cauldron. But um, like like we're a roadrunner, we just got to paint a railroad track on the side of a cliff and hope the coyote smashes into that instead of chasing us. But then he goes down a list, a list of uh, possibilities, you know, shape-shifting critters, mimics, you know, human human mimicry of some sort of animal that can shape-shift into us. Uh, some sort of critter that is indecipherable from us, and I guess that would be different than a mimic. All kinds of things. Insectoids, you know. Dog-sized jumping spiders. You know, all kinds of stuff. They can snatch children in the night. Who knows? Maybe they're doing that now because uh, so many kids disappear annually. We have no idea where they went. Maybe into the belly of the beasts. Or the bellies of the beast. Anyway, at the end of his uh, long thing here, um, he says, uh, thanks for reading. Hope it makes sense. And what do you think? Implying... Well, not just implying, explicitly stating he wants to know what we think. So I took the time to tell him what I think. Uh, after a bunch of people said, oh, that's interesting, or whatever, you know, little sort of glad, glad-handing or dismissiveness Um I write the following, and I quote me. Life is not a horror movie. We make it one for ourselves and drag other beings with us, and then assume they are like us, or that nature herself works this way. No, we are an unhealthy mind living in a state of false divorce with nature. We are nature too, and so it's delusional, but we can build houses and block out the outside to pretend. Nature cultures live with Earth, not on Earth. They see, quote-unquote, animals as nations of brothers and sisters, family, Inclusivity. The only predator here is us, and we're deteriorating, not evolving. As our societies continue to crumble in lockstep with a viable ecosystem, we will grow our death cult to block it all out, like four walls and a roof have done so successfully for so many years, with slogans and bravado steering our rage. The rage of a controlling, conquering mind that has eaten itself to extinction while giving itself a standing ovation for a job well done and calling that evolution. What you've written here brings to mind Stephen King stories. You forgot the one we've actually trapped ourselves in. The Mist. Watching the movie, because God forbid I read, I wasn't sure how I felt about some of the characters trapped in the grocery store. They seemed like caricatures, many of them, and their dialogue was just a bit hokey, just a bit unbelievable. Unbelievable just a bit cardboard cutout. Nobody would really behave that way when trapped in an impossible situation, would they? But then it happened to us. Rather, we happened. We made and continue to make an impossible set of situations for ourselves, driving us brain-first into these stupid end times. And wouldn't you know it, we became unthinking, unfeeling, selfish caricatures just when we needed to be at the top of our game. Turns out the game is over and this was us at the top rest in peace Western mind long live coyote which is really brilliant when you think about it everyone because uh, coyote he mentions coyote coyote trickster coyote and his response to that is uh, quote Jeremy Vaney that is indeed a viewpoint that was it that was that was his response I mean I wrote something uh, pretty decent if I do say so myself and you know he asked he asked people to res- to respond to him so I thought I would give him a, something thoughtful and in return he gave me um curt stupidity and this gets me to the question of the day is there something about social media about communicating on social media that is fundamentally Changed us. Um, I mean, I don't know if that change translates into the real world, although people are going crazy and, uh, you know, becoming raging shells of themselves outside of the Internet now. Uh, and maybe Internet interaction has made it easier, softened us to be able to do that, um, even though it that itself has been directed politically for political means. Um, But would have that direction taken hold, taken root, if not for the way we treat each other on social media, the way that we converse? Um, Because it seems to me that things like Facebook and Twitter and whatever else, uh, comment sections and message boards, they, I think, had originally the best intentions of, bringing us together and sharing and discussing and all of that. Uh, but they haven't really done that, have they? They've actually just kind of made us um, defensive. I mean, you know, offensive trolls and that sort of thing, but on the whole defensive, which leads to anger, which has incorporated within it an anger. And so when we, when we communicate in person, There's a good chance of changing someone's mind with better information, let's say, with a better take on things. Um, But can that happen online? Does anything that we write change a mind out there? Does social media, because it is social, I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, because it's social, is that the problem? Does it change our tendency of listening to each other? Um, Does it change that into a tendency to save face? Like, you just want to put out there what you have to say, and if someone has something that makes more sense, or is even just more interesting, is that offensive to us in a way that it wouldn't be a normal, everyday conversation? Does a better point, I guess, tend to look like an adversarial point? Are we too defensive when we know others are watching and can also chime in? Is that what it is? Because the problem here isn't whether or not this translates into the real world. The problem is that this has become the real world. This has become how we communicate with each other. And the more we um, are forced to stay inside because of mutating diseases, because people who don't want to stay inside refuse to do the proper things to allow us to go outside and, you know... (laughs) living in Looney Tune land as we do, uh, we're spending more and more time inside. And we were already spending an inordinate amount of time inside communicating with each other. And so the question is, I mean, just think about it. If if you were to talk to someone one-on-one about this, if I were to have the conversation with this guy one-on-one, he might see my point. Or he might feel like because I'm there in front of him, he has to at least... I don't want to say pretend, but I think put some thought into it, right? Actually reflect on what I'm saying as I'm reflecting on what he's saying. Uh, But if, if we were to do that, like I had a megaphone and we were at a a podium or something, um, or if he thought he were having a one-on-one conversation, and i all of a sudden invited all my friends to listen to my great rebuttal <laughs> right or my great addition to it which sounds like a rebuttal because I, other people are watching right like that changes the dynamic socially in real life um so that dynamic is the online dynamic it is social so even when you think you're having a one on one or even though you even when you think you're just sort of in your own head with a great idea and Meaning to share it and say, hey, what do you think? When someone actually says something uh, more intelligent than what you wrote, um, or more truthful, or a completely different direction, even, um, does that come across as offensive? Because, you know... Anyone who's put themselves out there as a writer or an actor or an artist or something and been rejected, they feel that sense of rejection. And it's like no matter what you do when you get the rejection letter or the, the rejection to the audition, whatever it is, um, I mean, you can steal yourself for it. You can toughen yourself up after a while, but um, for a good long time, at least, and probably always, it hurts. Just a little bit, you die inside, right? So do these conversations, because of the nature of them being social, uh, do they have an implied felt rejection to them when everything isn't in total agreement? That wouldn't be there in a normal conversation. A normal conversation would be building on ideas, maybe even, right? Like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go with it. Let's. Can we do that on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere? And because at least initially we couldn't and we felt that sense of rejection and defensiveness and turned a friend into an enemy, you know, like we've all done this right at some point um, for, I think, most people who don't experience that otherwise, who don't audition for things or put themselves out there as writers or whatever, you know, like the most might be like, Going for a job interview like that might be the most rejection you receive in your life is not getting that job. And that can be enough. Right. But nobody likes that feeling. Right. And so if you're not used to that feeling and you don't know what else to do with it, then do you when you start feeling it online, interacting even with friends and family, um, does that do you sort of guard yourself and close yourself off to them because of that? In a way that, again, you wouldn't, one-on-one, or in a small, intimate group with whom you are familiar, and feel comfortable. Can you ever really feel comfortable online? I don't even think trolls feel comfortable. I think that's why they troll. I mean, offensive people do offensive things because they're not comfortable in their own skin. And defensive people are defensive because they're not comfortable in their own skin, right? So, there's a problem here, folks. Because this is the way things are now. This is the society we've built. This is a piece of that evolution we keep talking about, what we're evolving into. And, you know, the goal is to evolve even further, quote-unquote evolve, right? Like, we want to now become the computer. We want to inject our consciousness into it. We want to go on forever in a virtual reality. Because belief in heaven isn't virtual reality enough. We've now got to believe in a future of uh one one and zero heaven digital heaven so isn't it odd that we want to put ourselves into that which makes us defensive makes us offensive makes us miserable not only do we want more of that we want that to become us really are you sure But in a way, doesn't it make sense that we would want that? Because when we imagine the afterlife, our imaginations are so crummy that we constantly imagine uh, pretty much like what we have now. (laughs) Right? Like, maybe the best of what we have now. Um, An exotic location is a heaven. Right? Like, this is how we imagine things. Oh, I die and I end up uh, on a cloud or on a beach or something. And everyone loves me. And I love everyone. Isn't that wonderful? Well now our present situation um and it's been trending this way for decades is less the beach less staring up at the clouds and more uh sitting in our rooms so if you got to sit in your room you don't want that to be heaven right like that's what a ghost does just sits in their bedroom when they die they just like oh crap i'm stuck haunting a house no, no, we want to go to heaven. So what's heaven? Digital heaven. We want to go into the computer. That's the thing that we're our eyeballs are on and our focus is on and where we have some sense of community. So, great, we'll go in there and do what? <laughs> Sing Kumbaya and love each other? I don't think so. But, of course, you know, when we talk that way about evolution, human evolution, what we're really talking about is, like, how do we grasp the reins of evolution out of the hands of nature out of the physicality of our situation how do we clutch that and kill ourselves off and make ourselves something else and you know even in this guy's uh online missive you know evolution is couched this way not our evolution but other other things are evolving to kill us right like this is how they're going to do it And this brings to mind the question, why do we always want to talk about death and never life? Death is exotic and life is just meh, right? And when we're not talking about death, we're talking about the non-existent. We're talking about, like, outer space, the future, aliens, this sort of thing. So it's outer space and inner space, not life right here and now. Why are we so concerned with that? Aliens, right? Not us as we are. Heaven. Not heaven on earth, but just heaven. We find mystery in the exotic, in the different, in that which we may apply our imaginations to. But not life, not now, not what we call boring or routine or known, and yet we want to take these exotic subjects and make them known. We want to make them dull. We want to bring the excitement of discovery and the religious impulse of mystery into the sphere of our dull routine. Then we move on. Right? This is what we do. To the next subject and the next subject and the next. And as far as evolution goes, uh, putting ourselves into a computer, as boring and routine as that sounds, that ain't it. That's just how we're thinking about it right now. But our thinking about evolution and what that means for us is going to evolve the next dull routine thing we create boring thought objects out of the exciting stuff and call this movement evolution and we call it education and we eventually call ourselves masters right masters of this think about it who among us is not a master of this already we're not mastering subjects we're creating the known sucking the life out of truth to call it a fact. We're replacing living with debating, with winning another over to our view, and that's it. That's that's our lives. A great circle jerk of competition is our lives. This is what we do, never discovering anything new or real, just compartmentalizing and moving on. We are hoarders, folks. That's all. There's no meaning in it, even if you smile through it. And we want to bring that into the afterlife? I mean, think about that. Think how crazy that sounds. That's the sound you're making right now. Every time you say you want to bring you with you when you go, I want to die and remain myself. I want to inject myself into the computer. I want to be a soul. I mean, I suppose at least this guy on uh, Facebook is just talking about other critters evolving to eat us. (laughs) So, I mean, on the one hand... You know, everything's evolving except us, I guess. But on the other hand, um, you know, you got to do the, your own hard work of understanding death. You can't just leave it to some shark to chomp on you or some coyote to figure out a way into your school. Uh, you got to do it yourself. I mean, I get that he's talking about physical death, but is he? I mean, when you imagine these things, what are you really telling yourself? Everything we do is to tell ourselves about the death of self, about the nothingness, consciousness, oneness that is us when we're not living in delusion. It's just that we're sick, and so we embrace it through delusion. We imagine it through our deluded self. And so we're stuck on this idea of evolution, this very attractive idea of us going on forever, in time, evolving, transforming but we're not supposed to evolve slowly like that we're supposed to transform all at once not understanding this is why society kills itself off embracing it theoretically idealistically ritualistically all that by an authority cut off from earth and sun instruction is a form of not understanding we're not the thing nature eats we are nature where nature in avoidance of herself. We still get our marching orders from Mother Earth and whatever gender sun. Right? And specifically, wherever you live. I mean, there's definitely a, a difference here in Hawaii than anywhere else I've lived. So it's not just Earth per se, but specific locations. Everywhere you are is a specific location. And so, as Teokas and Ghost Horse would say, you know... Sometimes corn in a field in one place doesn't understand the same song as corn in a field from even the other side of the mountain. And where do nature cultures learn these songs that are specific to their locales from the locale itself? I mean, that's the cold westernized version of it. But wherever you live speaks and breathes through you whether you block that out consciously or not some piece of it gets through and here's a related question why do we keep learning minute details of things that won't affect our lives at all I mean this guy in his post had uh, not real statistics but I'm assuming from what he's written he's looked at some statistics on things and Figured out, you know, biomass of humans plus this, you know, equals sharks should be attacking more children on the beach or whatever it is, you know, like he had to have learned um, a detail of something that he then imagined or incorporated into his fearful imagination of the next enemy to fight that is outside of himself, right? Right. Why do we keep learning these minute details of things? Why must we consume everything as knowledge? Is that growth or evolution to simply bring to the light of human consciousness the doings of like an insect or a deep space object or a quark? I mean, I guess animals like coyotes and sharks and things um, that you may encounter in real life. That's good to know. But what about the life of a molecule? What about dark matter? What about how, uh, I don't know, like uh, one of them poop rolling bugs rolls poop up a hill. How do they do it? Like, who cares? What are we learning all of this for? I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting when I read little articles of trivial knowledge. But why have we built up uh, our knowledge base as a form of trivia? What are we doing it for? Is that evolution? Is that the evolution of us? Like to bring into the human sphere uh, what was formerly unconscious? Do you see what I'm getting at here? Like going back to the unhealthy mind doing things unconsciously and that unconscious thing is always a call to understand the self, you know, so that the self dissolves and there be truth. Which is the true self. Um, That's what we need to do, but instead we redirect it into the wants of the self. And the wants of the culture. Not the needs. I mean, some things are needs, sure. But you know what I mean. (laughs) We occupy ourselves with distraction. Distraction. This is the difference between scientific seeking and spiritual seeking. Scientific seeking asks how things work, because scientists legitimately want to find that out. And spiritual seeking asks how things work to block out the truth of how they work. But oh, by the way, the scientist doing that to the exclusion of spirit is also doing the same thing as the spiritual seeker. Just doing whatever to not understand the self. To add on to the self. And maybe whatever they discover, they'll name after themselves. Who knows? Is that any different than like a spiritual seeker becoming a quote unquote master and then forming their own system of yoga or meditation or spiritual how to ism? I mean, to one who understands all this, it's all the same game. At a, you know, at a deep root level. But isn't it interesting how often, even, you know, when we imagine evolution, when we try to think outside the box and imagine how things are going or going to go, when we become little futurists, um, which, again, is at root a way to put off the now, to constantly be looking toward some imaginary set of events or circumstances and not just shut up and be (laughs) when we're not doing that. Uh, When we're imagining such, we imagine that those animals and those mechanisms in nature are just like us and revolve around us as we are now. As if... Because there's a ton of us, biomass, there's got to be something out there that wants to eat us eventually. Is evolving a taste for us in some way, or a means to kill us. I mean, even when we imagine other creatures evolving, it's it's still, they're revolving around us, right? Like, we're the center of their universe. And they must work that way, because we imagine they would, because that's kind of how we do things, Right? Like, we're the ones that consume things way too much beyond our means, or, you know, as a culture, even. Like, we've it just, it's unfathomable to me that we say the words consumer culture and we're all okay with that. Like, oh, yeah, we're a consumer culture. We're consumers. Really? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm cancer, I'm AIDS. I'm COVID disease. Isn't that wonderful? Is it? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I am. I am deaf. Hear me roar. I, I kill us all off. I'm a serial killer. Isn't that, <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, well, who do you serial kill? What are you like prostitutes or homeless people? Like, what's your thing, man? Oh, no, no, no. I just destroy uh, everything. Uh, I am the eater of uh, all worlds. Whatever God that is, that that's me. Huh, so like you got like a million arms or something? How are you doing this? No, 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 I'm just a cultural mind virus pervading the species. And uh, I just, uh, I'm like Pac-Man. You know that video game Pac-Man? You know how everything's like a computer now, nowadays? Well, we haven't really evolved past Pac-Man. You just chomp, 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 chomp. As we run from ghosts. No, nature doesn't work like we do because... We are out of balance. We are out of tune with nature. In fact, that we have to say with nature and not I am nature, not the self-identity as nature, is a problem. And within that problem, within that seeing two, where there is only one, there is a problem of believing that the other is exactly like us, when really... Maybe we're more like them. Maybe that which hasn't branched off from its own nature to play dress up is more in line with the onenessy thing, is more in line with truth, has no need to evolve toward the heaven of a perfect future or a conflict free afterlife. There are many subjects that I'm a hypocrite on, but this isn't one of them. And how do I know this? Because uh, day two of the Living Mystery Symposium, Jeff Kripal gave a talk about Nietzsche being more of a spiritually awake person than a madman or a nihilist, that he was misunderstood. And what Jeff Kripal presented in that small amount of time was pretty persuasive to me. He changed my mind, even in a virtual realm. He changed my mind. i had always thought Nietzsche was somebody who just got it intellectually, but it never really sank in. And no, it turns out I was wrong. And I said as much. Because your mind should be changed in the face of better information. That's how evolution works. Right? Hey, I finally spoke about the Living Mystery Symposium. Oh my god. Well, what, what are we on here? <laughs> what is this—the fifth episode in? Now, granted, this you know was just a brief mention here at the end, but uh, not quite the in-depth examination that that maybe I've been looking for. But but we're baby-stepping. We're baby-stepping. We are always that. <gasps> Ain't, Ain't that the, the truth? truth?